Welcome to Queen of the Ring, a podcast that wants to talk to you about wrestling. My name is Alexa. It just keeps getting hotter and hotter. Yes, indeed. Today I want to talk about bra and panty matches. I don't remember the first time I saw a bra and panty match, but I remember seeing them all the time after a while. And I definitely remember the way seeing the women made me feel. They were all so cartoonishly sexy, it's like my child brain was made to digest it. The bra and panty match is an interesting result of what our society values women for in a way. Of course, men in wrestling are objectified too, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But anything involving objectification, if there's consent from all parties involved, then you can continue on. But when there isn't, that's when there's a big problem. And there wasn't, usually. This is what I'm going to hope to get into today. History of bra and panty matches, and what comes of it now. I'm going to try to show a line that began with apartment wrestling into what would become the bra and panty matches of the 90s. To quote Mildred Burke, who was one of the first famous women wrestlers in the United States, Wrestling has always had strong sex appeal. Fantasies are lived out by fans through the various personages in wrestling. Right and wrong and good and evil meet in a primal struggle under the lights. Human beings are sexual beings, all of them. The wrestling game allows all manner of drives and frustrations to be vented. A sports writer named Bill Apter claimed in his memoir that one day in 1973, a package arrived at his company offices. The package was from Theo Errett, a sports photographer from LA, who was a longtime ringside photographer. Inside was a bundle of photos of women wrestling in their underwear and bikinis and some of them naked, and they were deemed apartment wrestling photos. Just picture two gorgeous women yanking the other's hair, holding her arms behind her back in this really lovely, beautiful, mid-century modern apartment. Why it's called apartment wrestling. Magazine publisher Stanley Weston, behind what would become Pro Wrestling Illustrated, decided that he would be the one to publish these photos first. And these were also featured in magazines like Wrestling Mag and Battling Girls, to just name two. There are available archives online, um, but I also did purchase one. Through a series of photos, the narrator would explain the match as it was, or the announcer maybe, if you will, giving the reader a play-by-play into what the girls were doing. And these were usually written by a man named Dan Shockett, who went by the alternative identity and the pseudonym of Dave Mole, whose character within this says that he's a multi-million millionaire and an apartment wrestling coordinator and that he ran an underground league, which, okay, sure, (laughs) it's really dramatic. (laughs) I want to include a little blurb from one of the magazines that I have. The match turns into a tornado of violence as the tempestuous blondes tear at each other with controlled brutality. 
Halters are ripped off and the beauties continue their war in savage, naked splendor. Beautiful words by Mr. Dan Shockett. There were a lot of people who opposed this. Male wrestlers would not want to be featured in the same magazine that apartment wrestlers were in, which kind of echoes the days of men not wanting to be on the same billing card as women wrestlers in the, you know, 40s and 50s. This feels like a natural precursor to uh, bra and panty matches to me. As wrestling became more salacious, I feel like apartment wrestling had to be thought of as a reference guide. And something that is especially ironic is that one of the biggest critics to apartment wrestling was Vince McMahon Sr., obviously having no idea that one day his son would take the next natural progression into brawn panty matches on WWF. Apartment wrestling lived a short life, and it came to an end by the early 80s. And now to get into what is known as the modern-day brawn panty matches— As far as I know, WCW was the first of the Attitude Era wrestling promotions to feature them, although WWF was not far behind by truly even a breath. The first WCW featured was an ROTC match, where the objective is to rip off the clothes of your opponent, but they're wearing fatigues. (laughs) It featured Major Guns, aka Tylene Buck, and one woman who would get a lot of experience with these same matches just in a different company— Stacy Keebler. But pretty generally, WCW did not really know what to do with their female talent. Um, they had the WCW Nitro Girls for a long while, who were dancers and would come out in between matches and do a performance. But I don't think they understood that people wanted to actually see women wrestle. And in this interview, I saw with Eric Bischoff, who was the executive producer and vice president of WCW, um, where he said that there, the reason that they didn't feature women was because there wasn't any talented women wrestlers at this time. And when I heard that, I was absolutely floored because it's just not true. Maybe he did not know any of them personally, but that does not mean that they did not exist. The world's a big place, Eric. But he's gotten a lot of flack in the last few years and admitted all of his wrongdoings. So I don't think he's a bad guy or anything. I just really flipped out when I saw that. As wrestling became more fused with trash TV storylines, the ones that I personally loved when I was young, you know, these types of matches continued and the men had very weird ones too. There was a match deemed Viagra on a pole match between Shane Douglas and Billy Kidman, where it is exactly what it sounds like. Um, There is Viagra at the top of a pole in the corner of the ring, and whoever gets to it first wins. And the reason that this apparently became a match at all is because Shane Douglas was caught on tape having erectile dysfunction. (laughs) So that's where the match came in handy. And the whatever on a pole match was really not popular in WCW in general, but they really liked to use it anyways. During the 90s, the Monday Night Wars were happening between WCW and WWE. Ted Turner had bought WCW and he and Eric Bischoff were just trying to see if they could compete with WWE, basically. And it was a ratings competition every single week. And WWE wasn't winning for a while because they had a lot of G-rated type shit. 
Um, they were usually displaying a very clear delineation between who was evil and who was not, uh, but that popularity was waning. The sexualization of the WWE came in the mid-90s into the mid-aughts. And like, I'm not saying this is a revolutionary thought, but I think it might have had to do with the ultra-conservatism of the 80s. You know, the following decades just went in the complete opposite direction. And with the rising popularity of shows like Jerry Springer and the such, WWE followed suit. Through the leaning into more sexual content, their ratings started to go way up, and therefore the sexy matches did too. I could truly do a whole episode on the sexualization of women wrestlers, um, but maybe that's for another day. But, you know, the start of the divas, the first diva ever, Sunny, and like the type of sex appeal that she brought, I think completely changed the game for them and Sable also. But maybe that's for another day and I can do that. WWF didn't take too long to realize that there was an incredible amount of viewers that came along with announcing a bra and panty match on the following week of Raw. And the first aired on WWF was between two incredibly talented wrestlers who also happened to be very sexy, Lita and Trish Stratus. I remember this happening, like the bra and panty matches starting to be a thing. And I just remember my father turning the TV off and being like, we'll turn it back on in like five minutes <laughs> because he didn't want me to see it or my brothers. And it seemed like a bra and panty match was the only match women could get at the time unless you were China or Stephanie McMahon. But like Jacqueline, Lita, Jazz, Trish, Tori Wilson, Stacey Keebler, Victoria, Mickey James, Gail Kim, so many women were pushed to do this and there were also a lot of offshoots of the bra and panty match like evening gown matches the same objective at the end mud fights and like weird sexual matches involving like paddles and strange ideas from vince russo another particularly egregious match was between hardcore holly and val venus where Every time one of them threw the other over the top rope, the woman that was chosen to represent them would have to take off an article of clothing, and whichever woman ended up naked at the end, that person lost. Bibi and Terry Reynolds were the women that were chosen, and they look visibly unhappy to be a part of it. After the both of them, Val Venus and Hardcore Holly, knock each other over the top rope, Triple H proceeds to tell them, the women, that their jobs are on the line, and if they don't do this, they will be fired. And it's like, they wrote that storyline. Like, you can't even feign consent that they want to do this. Like, they, the part of the storyline is that they don't want to and that they're being forced to. It's just basically a fucking bummer. To come to more recent talks about bra and panty matches... Uh, WWE superstar Alexa Bliss stated in an interview that she had respect for the women who did brawn panty matches because she just doesn't think she could do it. And in response, Gail Kim, the incredibly successful and badass and talented wrestler, responded with this tweet. Never looked at it that way. I just have to say out loud that this, along with some of the other gimmick matches similar in nature were some of the most traumatic moments of my life that I have to live with, feeling like I never had a choice. Oh, it was just as heartbreaking. It's fucking shitty. A tweet from Kelly Klein 
another wrestler, explains similar feelings also. I have so much respect and appreciation for women who were put in this position. Say no, as is your right as an independent contractor, risk being labeled difficult to work with. Do it, and you're labeled popcorn match, not a real wrestler. And I could not agree more. These women were put in terrible, uncomfortable, at best positions by people who just didn't care. As of what I think of it, I have complicated feelings about bra and panty matches. They sucked, but I loved the women who were part of them. If they had made their own decisions to participate with nothing being held over their head or for fear of the rug being swept out from underneath them, it would be fine. And maybe there were some women that decided to do it on their own, and I'm not trying to take those women's stories away either at all. And, you know, it just doesn't seem like that was what it was for many of the women who have spoken about it now. I don't really have much insightful to say, honestly. I just find it interesting, the ways that things that seem frivolous, like television, can reveal a lot about what people are feeling, are attracted to, are repulsed by in the time that it takes place. It reflects the times in a way that no one could have expected when it was happening. But it shows like our social behaviors and beliefs and how they evolve from one decade to the next. Since we exist in a superstructure of misogyny, usually the storytellers around us are men, especially when it comes to sports or anything that's related to that. Wrestling itself has always been kind of an attraction, and women's wrestling even more so. In the beginning of modern wrestling, which begins at the circus, women's wrestling was used as kind of a freak show. And that's why I was drawn to quote Mildred Burke at the beginning, because that was the world of wrestling that she began in, in the circus. And since the writers of the 90s still carried the same beliefs as those who were creating characters for women in wrestling in the 1940s, they never evolved to appreciate how the women wrestlers had evolved. The men that were telling these stories followed in the footsteps of many before them, and valued women's attractiveness and sex appeal over their very clear and obvious talent that was truly just begging to be shown. And I think it was hurtful to the people who were subjected to it because they are, are all so talented and deserved their chance on that big of a stage to show it off. The writers were majority of the time only willing to give women agency through sexuality and not through many other venues. And I'm not claiming to speak for anybody at all. It's just, I'm just repeating what I've read and what I've seen and the information that I've absorbed over the last 21 years of wrestling consumption. Just this year in February, WWE announced that it's going to be moving all of its streaming to Peacock, um, the network that houses NBC shows. And Peacock has said that it wants to be recognized as a family-friendly service, so throughout all of their streaming shows, they will be removing anything that doesn't meet that standard. Um, they're going to be removing all of the racist things that WWE has done throughout the years, because it's run by white people who, whether it's known by them or not, participate in the superstructure of white supremacy. 
it's the second time I've been able to say the word superstructure in this. <laughs> like Vince McMahon saying the N-word and Triple H doing blackface and a lot more. That's also something I could potentially do a couple of episodes on if that's something people would want to hear. Um, and another thing they're going to be removing is all of the bra and panty matches. I mean, all of the stuff will be very available to find through the internet. Um, but I just think it's kind of cowardly to erase the history that you've been a part of to make yourself look better in the present just creates worse things to happen in the future, I think. <laughs> and I wrote down here, to erase your history is big poo-poo energy. I agree with myself. <laughs> and I guess that's where I'll end, <laughs> is on that. If you happen to make it this far, I want to say thank you so much. Queen of the Ring was written by me, Alexa Pruitt. The music is by Kreider Dane of Helter Skelter Music Productions. If you like what you hear, join me for the second season. And thank you for sticking around if you did. And if you have a suggestion or just want to tell me something about wrestling, you can give me an email over at queenoftheringpodcast at gmail.com. It's queenoftheringpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what wrestlers you want to hear about. Thank you. Thank you.